Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today, Hans Georg Koprich will start us into a new series through the book of Acts. Today, we'll look at chapter 2 and how the early church exercised four principles, teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. So, as this Sunday is about spiritual pediatrics, how did the church gain maturity and what can we learn from this sermon today about putting our priorities right in order to experience growth and healing? Well, let's listen to Hans Georg to find out. Well, there are some hiccups. Sometimes it's a spiritual hiccup and we'll talk about some hiccups this morning. Um, spiritual pediatrics, um, that's uh, the, the headline. And uh, I got quite excited to hear, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, that uh, our Austrian Chancellor Kurtz um, is going to be to get um, to be father, and uh, his uh, fiance is uh, pregnant, uh, and I guess uh, Corona has brought about <laughs> some pretty great surprises. <laughs> what do you reckon? <laughs> Lots of surprises. We just came back from Germany from a, a short uh, holiday, and we saw lots of surprises uh, walking on the streets of southern uh, Germany. Uh, we were uh, out in Strasbourg in France and uh, uh, also in Freiburg, southern uh, Germany. Had an exciting time meeting our families after that many months. And of course, I'm reminded when we talk about uh, pediatrics about my own family, you know. There's a long row of history that uh, my forefathers or foremothers better, they got all twins. Um, so my grandmother from my mother's side, she got twins years ago. I don't know, maybe a hundred years or so ago. And it was pretty hard to uh, get twins and then my mom, I'm a twin, you will be quite surprised. I'm also a twin, I've got a twin sister. Uh, in fact, when uh, I was about to be born, I was the first one. And then the doctor said to my wife, hey, wait a minute, there is another coming out, about to come, in, come out. And, uh, and my mom, really, she got a nervous breakdown because of that. And you wouldn't believe it, the same happened to my bigger sister. Late years later, in the 70s or so, uh, my bigger sister got unexpected twins. You know, she was in the delivery rooms, uh, room and the doctor said, Hey, wait a minute, there is another one. And my sister also, like my mom years ago, I don't know, um, way back, she also got a nervous breakdown and, uh, well, the delivery wasn't uh, in a normal way, as you can imagine. So we could talk about all the sorts of deliveries you have expect, uh, you also experienced as mom and maybe some dads, they, I was with Margaret in the delivery room with all our kids and it was ever so exciting, especially with the last one with um, our little lady and princess, Annika. Um, and uh, the doctor said, hey, Mr. Hoprick, would you be, um, want to cut uh, the bilingual cord? Ambingual cord, yes, that's right, sorry. I'm not so acquainted with the medical um, expressions. And I was so fascinated of that little girl, you know, I forgot all about it. And he reminded me again, please, would you cut it or what do you think? And and so, you know, all our kids, it was um, so exciting. And we could get on and on. And I guess all of you who have families, they, they can talk about the, this exciting event, especially with the firstborn and... Uh, but it's not less exciting with a second born. You know, it's kind of a great 
um, present God um, really gives us. So today, we're not talking about twins. We are talking, uh, would you believe it? We are talking about 3,000 babies. 3,000 babies. This is why I called it spiritual pediatrics. Now, what do we do? He, the dad, whispers. The young father turns to his wife, and they both took down all the sleeping newborn they just brought home from the hospital. They have arranged the nursery just right, read the latest parenting theories, and stocked uh, two closets of baby gadgets. However, none of this preparation can answer his question or equip them for the road ahead. Now what do we do? This dad whispers again. Late night feedings, endless diapering and constant doctor visits fill the immediate horizon. And in the years to come, they will have to contend with temper tantrums, banged fist on the ground with outburst of bad temper, little white lies may even fits of insults in disrespect to mom and dad. I know you never experienced that. You're too special to experience that. I'm sorry. We do, we did experience some of this. Um, I don't want to knock out my kids, but I think they're normal kids. Uh, the four boys and the little princess, they're just normal. For these young parents, now... What do we do is quite an excellent question, isn't it? As the apostles surveyed the thousands of baby believers who had joined the church on the day of Pentecost, they just have to ask the same questions. These newborn Christians would require wise parenting to learn how to walk with Christ, handle temptation, worship, and pray. The apostles, however, had no instruction manual to follow. They didn't have the Bible as we have. Did they? No Bible, no handbooks, no guidelines. How would they nurture these young ones? How would the infant church, after all, survive and grow? Which is even more exciting. Not only surviving, but growing. That's the fact. That is why a church came into being. When the excitement of spiritual birth gave way to the uh, reality of day-to-day -day life, the leaders did, it, did do indeed something. They rolled up their sleeves and began caring for this spiritual babies, as a result, the church started to thrive incredibly. And because of that, we get an example this morning, an exciting example of what we can do here at Grace Church. We should not wait for the leaders, everybody, all of us, every single 
brother and sister should be involved in quite exactly the same. I'm convinced in that. Don't wait for the elders. Don't wait for the pastor. Do it. They rolled up their sleeves, began caring for all these spiritual babies. Thus, the headline chosen for today's sermon is spiritual pediatrics. How did the scene setting look like? After the day of Pentecost, Jerusalem resembled a spiritual nursery. Luke summarizes this in Acts 2.41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And there were at it that day about 3,000 souls. What an incredible event. 3,000 souls in one day. Wow. It takes my breath away. They received his word. In other words, they accepted Peter's gospel message and they were saved. They then declared their salvation through baptism and 3,000 were added. Were added to the church. Now, to what were they added? They were added to the church as we read in the second part of Acts 2, 47. We read the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Unlike a church building with pews and a pulpit, God's universal church is a family. God designed his church. That's the DNA of a church. And we need to understand that. If we don't understand, we always wait for others to do the job. God designed his church to provide protection, nourishment, and growth for its members through family relationships. In this way, the church is a spiritual incubator. I'm reminded to my, one of my sons who has got a, an egg incubator and puts all sorts of eggs in this incubator and waits patiently, you know, for the geese to, uh, to come out and, uh, Breaking of egg and, and so on. An incubator. This is what happened in that church. Warmth. It needs a special temperature. And the temperature is not made only by the leaders. It's you and me. It's your and my engagement to come up with that certain temperature that will, will fulfill God's purposes at Grace Church and in any other church in the world, wherever there's a church, this is what needs to be happening. This priority became the church's livelihood and have become essential aspects of today's church as well, in fact, of any church, whether it's in Africa, of the Philippines, or here in beloved Austria, or in Germany, or wherever in the States, or wherever you go, these are the basics. This is how it starts. We, and there were priorities of the people. We know that these activities were priorities in the early church because according to Acts 2.42, the, the Christians were continually, they did not stop, continually. This is exactly the, the Greek word translated, devoted, proskaterio is a common one. 
that was used to describe a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. This is the Greek word that is the uh, ex, um, translated of the word devoted. Why, what, were they? Let's look at it. In Acts 2.42, we read they are con were continually devoting themselves, they, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let's look at the teaching first. Their first priority was the teaching. The apostles were the instructors. And though we are not sure what they taught, they probably used the Old Testament scriptures along with the words of Christ to feed the people. Their work as spiritual pediatricians undoubtedly began to nourish men on God's word. Sound teaching for, for a few believers then and now is like milk to a baby. A diet that neglects the Bible developments weak Christians unable to handle temptation or trials, as we see later on. We become strange people. We jump from here and there. We get uncertain. We get impatient. And people look at us. Is he a, a Christian? What happened with him? He has become a strange guy. You can't talk with him. Instead, as Peter commands, he says in 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may, what? Grow in respect to salvation. If you don't grow, you don't have respect to salvation. If you stay like a little baby stays and you get milk all the time and you want milk and only milk, there is no respect to salvation. So the first things they devoted themselves was teaching. The second was, was fellowship. This was the second priority, fellowship. And there is the great Greek word. I really like it because it has so many good connotations. It's called koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word for fellowship in verse 42. It comes from a root word that means common. Koinonia bears witness to the common life of the church in two senses. And oftentimes we, we want one, but we don't give the second one. You know, we always want to have, you know, it's kind of an ego that always wants to have. And if you don't get it, you point fingers to those that can, that are happy to give. Koinonia, first of all, expresses what we share in together. But secondly, koinonia expresses what we share out together. What we give as well as what we receive. Both ways. It's not a one-way relationship as often we may expect it. The early church, the early Christians shared a, a commonality with one another based on their faith in Christ. Their koinonia manifested itself in two ways. They shared in their common experiences of joy and sorrow. And they shared with one, one another material gifts 
and words of love and encouragement. I don't know how practical I need to say that, but we will eventually, in the end of the sermon, we will become very practical. And I hope no one will go out here not knowing what to do. This is what is expected from those that are spiritual babes to grow in respect of their salvation. Their fellowship was an expression of vibrant, authentic Christianity in action. You all can hopefully taste the same kind of sweet fellowship in your church today, here at Grace Church. I'm not talking about any other church. If you are a member, if you're associated with Grace Church, I hope you do experience exactly that. If you don't, don't complain. Do something about it. You all can hopefully taste it. But let me tell you, this is definitely a big choice. The choice is yours. Every congregation has a choice to be one of two things. You can choose to be a bag of marbles, single units that do not affect each other except in Collision, in bad words, in clash, in crash, and conflict. That's where some churches meet. On Sunday morning, you can choose to go to church or to sleep in. Some may be listening and still be at home, not attending a church service somewhere. Well... Who really cares whether there are 40 or 41 marbles in a bag? Or you can choose to be a bag of grapes. The choices began to mingle and there is no way to free yourself from a constraint or difficulty if you try it. Each one is part of all. It's a beautiful picture that fits together. And each part belongs to the other and it fits together. Teaching, fellowship, and then communion. The third activity to which the early church were continually devoting themselves, continually, not just they did not just start, but it was continuously devoting themselves, um, that was the breaking of bread. This, of course, was far more than just sharing a meal together. They also celebrated the Lord's Supper just as the Lord Jesus asked all his followers to do in Luke 2, 22, 19. We read Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. By regularly taking communion, they kept their minds and hearts focused on, on the importance of Christ having been died for them. Focused on the Lord Jesus. This focus is indispensable in our walk with the Lord. Worshipping at the Lord's table is spiritual therapy for our burdened souls. And you may have experienced this celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's always a step further to the comeback of the Lord Jesus. I'm getting excited when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We are reminded that the Lord comes back. Amen. He comes back. 
Wow. Did they do it with crackers and juice? Or bread and wine? Was it somber or reflective or joyous and uplifting? Acts 2.46 simply says they were breaking bread from house to house. The uh, lack of any further specifics gives us freedom concerning when, where, how we take communion in Papua New Guinea. They took just a, a leaf, a special leaf from a tree that was growing anywhere, and they just uh, put it together like a little cup, and they put uh, the water of a coconut in. I don't know how you do it in, in the Philippines. You know, when you don't have wine or juice, what do you do? Well, that's what they did in Papua New Guinea, and we had great times of celebrating um, the Lord's Supper in this way. We got so excited every, day, every time we celebrated it. Um, well, it's in the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ for his body that was broken and for his blood that was spilled for us. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and of course, prayer. You, you see, uh, four things they did constantly. All over again. It, they devoted themselves to do this. This they emphasized, thus they emphasized lastly and finally prayer. The Greek word in Acts 2.42 says literally, they continually, they were continually devoting themselves to the prayers. It's a plural used there. This implies that it was standard practice when they met together, they met in prayer. Their prayers were a priority because through them they kindled a personal involvement with one another and sparked a desire to serve the Lord. They listened and cared for each other in the most profound way by praying for each other. We also can experience this same kindling effect when we pray with other believers. When we choose to isolate ourselves, we become like a burned and blackened small piece of burning or glowing coal or wood that falls from the fire cold and dark inside. But when we join with others in prayer, we glow with enthusiasm to serve the Lord and reflect His radiance. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. You know, you have the words now. What do we do? By making these four activities top priorities at church, the apostle, apostle nurtures the young Christians with the intensive care they needed to grow into mature adults. Now, you know, the great, great question, of course, you, uh, many, many people ask, because some of them, they may be fed up with a lot of teaching, fellowship, with always celebrating communion as prayers. Were they really successful? That's a big question. Were they really successful? Yes, indeed. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verses 43 to 46 describe the result. In fact, we can even see an amplification of the activities. We see, you know, the fire glows. The fire burns. 
Like we heard recently from our people in Papua New Guinea, somewhere in the bush, they are on fire. Praise the Lord. When we heard that, we got so excited about it. On fire. Bananas for Jesus. On fire. We can see an amplification of the activities. Relating back to the four priorities in verse 42, Luke expands on the results of each activity. First, we see what happened in the people's hearts when they absorbed the apostles' teaching. What happened? As they were instructed, do you see? It's a continuous form of doing things. It doesn't stop at the first time as they were. And you will see it again and again. Acts 2.43 says, everyone keep, kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. The truth taught by the apostles, rumbled like thunder from heaven. The people were filled with awe and wonder. Where is your excitement this morning? Why is there no awe and wonder? You see, they were instructed. The truth taught by the apostles. It's the Greek word, it's phobos. That's a Greek word translated for all, meaning a reverential fear. These early believers came face to face with God and His Word. As a result, a reverence for His power and majesty enveloped the entire church. The entire church teaches like the apostles who reveal God, His awe-inspiring glory are never frightening or manipulative. They simply pull back the curtain of heaven so that we catch just but a glimmer of God's brilliance, of God's glory. When we do, we have no other response than Isaiah. When he was called by God Almighty, you know what he said? Woe is me. In Isaiah 6, 5, you can read it. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When the apostles taught God's truth, the people not only felt awe, but also witnessed signs and wonders. Through these miracles, God validated the apostles' authority as they instructed His people. And then the second is, they experience koinonia, the same words we have already heard. It's like hammering out church growth, if you like. Koinonia, we read in Acts 2, 44 to 45, all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and we're sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. This is koinonia. This is fellowship. Christ's love in people's hearts overflowed into unity, selflessness, and concern for one another even to the point of selling their own property to help those in need. Wow! Wow, that, ha that was happening then. This kind of giving and fellowship cannot be injected into a group externally. This must come from within. And it can be only fostered 
in an environment of in that encourages freedom and openness a place where there is koinonia as they were instructed again i want to repeat it because it, we need to hammer it out again and again there is nothing new in church growth it's always the same thing happening and wherever a church is growing that is exactly what they are doing constantly they do not stop doing it as they experienced koinonia as they are together we read in acts 246 day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from the house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart we often associate the lord's supper with quiet contemplation but this word describes the event as a time for gladness joy even laughter there was an a spilling over of joy in the same breath luke also says it produced sincerity of heart the word sincerity in greek again comes from a root word that literally means free from rock or smooth impli- uh, impli- implying that their meetings were free from disagreements and the wearisome tendency to quarrels and disputes now it becomes very practical how about you our church our churches wherever people listen now how is that in your church this kind of atmosphere makes for good cheer and harmony delightful results of a meaningful communion experience well we go back again i hope i'm not bothering you by repeating and repeating again as they were instructed as they experienced koinonia as they are together finally the early church prayers produced equally significant results as they continued in prayer acts 247 reads they were praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord was adding to to their number day by day those who were being saved their prayers built two bridges one vertically and one horizontally to each other you know you, can you see the bridge building by praising the lord the people turned their attention on god and his power and by loving one another they brought unity to the church as a result people look at this people look at unity as a result what happened the church grew because of that growth occurred because the apostles nurtured the church through these four principles and i would really recommend and love to see that happening in every church this is the starting point only the starting point and as i said many wait for pastors to do it but not in the early church they all did it together the apostles started it and they were a great testimony for all the others and the others went on doing it again and again what did they do they were instructed as they experienced koinonia as they are together as they continued in prayer may i ask you the question a very personal question now and i mean we can preach about that day sunday after sunday 
until we do not practice it, we just, you know, stumble. There is no unity. We talk behind the back of each other. We point finger to those in responsibility and tell them, you know, you do it all wrong. May I ask you the questions? Are they priorities in your church? Are they priorities in your family? Are they priority in your life? What is your response as I finish? What will be your response? I urge you to respond to it. As you seek to incorporate teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer in your life, consider the following two principles. They capsulize the Apostle's spiritual nutrition plan for us. First of all, the healthy Christian is a balanced believer. The apostles' activities were like the four basic food groups in the early church. That's what they did. Instruction was balanced with involvement. You see, there is the next step. With beliefs, with behavior. It, there weren't empty words behind their instructions. Beliefs with behavior, the vertical relationship with the horizontal and the fear of the Lord with fellowship with one another. Because the young believers were equally from all four healthy development occurred. Growth will take place in our lives as well when we follow this spiritual Diet. And secondly, authentic Christianity brings happiness and harmony. Brings happiness and harmony. Healthy Christian, a healthy Christian is a balanced believer. Authentic Christianity brings happiness and harmony. Childish behavior is marked by moodiness, selfishness, and petty arguments. But mature attitudes bring harmony and cooperation. Can you see the mark? Where are you? The same is in the spiritual realm. Mature Christians know authentic joy in spite of their circumstances. They will rejoice. Paul being in prison, yet he rejoiced. He did not look at the circumstances. He looked to the Lord Jesus. They have grown up on a steady intake of the staples of the Christian life. Let's bow in peace. Bow before the Lord. If you want to close your eyes, here the Lord wants to teach us a lesson, a very important lesson so it's needed. We need to bow before him. Let me ask you again. As you look into this mirror, just reflect how well you are balancing the four priorities we talked about this morning. Which are the various activities that you are involved. It needs your personal involvement and it starts today. 
teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper and worship, group, prayer, as you reflect and mirror yourself, do you see any area that is over or under emphasized? Which is it in your life? Teaching, fellowship, Lord's prayer, worship, the Lord's supper, worship, and group prayer. Do you think you can bring these priority back into balance with others? Maybe each area is so full that it overwhelms you. You are too busy. If so, how can you restructure your involvements to include more family or personal time? Maybe teaching, fellowship, Lord's Supper and worship group prayer is sparsely filled. You just come on Sunday morning and that's it. Is this, if this is true, how can you add to your involvement in each area? Remember to start slow and stay balanced, possibly adding just one uh, activity per category. And after the thrill of a witnessing a spiritual birth, let me tell you, in every church, the work really starts at that point. Based on the Apostle's example, what parenting quality would you suppose are important for someone spiritually guiding a young believer next to you? This is our task. I want to remind you. It's not a task of, of uh, those that are full-time Christians. It's a task of you and me. Don't wait for others to do it. Do it. Do it. I urge you in the name of Jesus Christ, do it. According to those verses, how you as a spiritual parent know if a Young believers grown to maturity. Hebrews 5, 14 says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Mature. 2 Timothy 2, 2, The things you have heard me say in the presence of any many witnesses in trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach Others, mature, and lastly, Ephesians 4, 13 to 15. Until we all, each unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blow here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Do you feel that God has given you the qualities and vision needed to spiritual parent a younger believer? If so, whom has he placed right now on your heart? How can you begin caring for this person soon? Let's pray together. We climbed quite a mountain this morning. And spiritual truth was abound. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this great example of the first church.
who did exactly what they needed to do by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you still teach us. You have still patience to teach us again and again the spiritual lessons. We thank you that we can enjoy fellowship in freedom here in our beautiful country of Austria. There's so many around the world who do not enjoy this. So we rejoice, Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that you are with us. And even as this church and other churches celebrate the Lord's Supper, do it in awesome worshiping you and get together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we ask for your grace in our lives that we fulfill this purpose in reverence of our salvation. That the Lord Jesus may be glorified in our lives and through our lives. That the joy of the Lord may overspill to others so that they may get an experience with you. That they may experience the power and the glory of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this morning. And we ask for your grace that the word of God may ponder in our hearts for the fulfillment of your glory. We thank you for being with us in the days to come, even with Grace Church here, that, they, that we all may fulfill the purpose of your church until you come back and take us with you into glory. We praise you and we worship you, Lord Jesus. You are such a great shepherd of our souls. We thank you that you are with us tomorrow, today, and in the days to come until we see you face to face. We praise you and we worship you. Thank you for your good teaching. Thank you that we were reminded to have fellowship with you and one another and to celebrate the Lord's Supper and worship you and pray together and pray to you. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.